All right. Thanks for Mark and sharing about hope and also for the inspirational move that you and your family seem to be making from Australia to New Zealand. That's very inspiring. I'm not sure, but that's what I heard. I'm not sure if that's what you heard, but that's what I heard. Yep. Well, we've texted him while he was in church. No, it's great. Also, the Josephs are back from their travels. There you are. Back, back home. When did you get back? Wednesday. Wednesday. So, still jet lagged a little bit, but here at church, worshiping God, that's awesome. Hopefully, you'll stay awake through the through the service. I'll keep my eyes on you guys to make sure that it happens, and of course, everyone else, because it is a bit warm. If you have a Bible, turn over to Galatians chapter 1. We're studying out the book of Galatians as a church, so week by week we're studying out these verses. And if you're just joining us, here's a really short recap of what's happening in the book of Galatians. When you watch television shows, they always start with a previously. So previously in the book of Galatians, this was written to a region of churches, not just a single church. Paul and Barnabas planted this church in this region. They left, and then behind them came some opponents, or some false missionaries. And basically, these false missionaries have two attacks against Paul. Number one, they say Paul doesn't have real authority. That's their claim. So they come into the church, and they start undermining his authority. Who did he get it from? Where did he get it from? Why does he have it? Why are you guys listening to him? That's what they're telling the church. Number two, they're attacking his message. They say his message is secondhand. His message isn't complete. He's only trying to win your favor. So that's the scene. That's the scenario. Imagine again someone coming in and quietly coming into your home and saying, Who gave David Megan authority? Their preaching is incomplete. It's faulty. It's not the whole gospel. Who told them to come to New Zealand? That's the context for which Paul is writing to this region. Now that in and of itself challenges me because he's not trying to win an argument here in this letter. He's trying to win people. I think that's... that's That's very hard, isn't it? To try to really win people, then you see the force of his emotion come out in chapters 1 and 2 where he starts defending himself and saying, no, no, I did receive this message from God. This message is authentic. So he's having to defend himself and the message to his church. And through this, we really understand the depth of the gospel. And so let's pray and read our passage for this morning. Father, we are grateful for the scriptures, help them to really stir our minds and our hearts, but also to really call us to action, so that we not only hear, but we do what it says. We pray your spirit is involved in this great work, and we pray this in your son Jesus' name, amen. In Galatians 1, we'll read in a second, but these are two photos. On the left is what's called a reservoir, and the basic thing for a reservoir is it holds water. Not necessarily the most inspiring thing, you know, what's your job? I hold water. Now in contrast to that, a river, they they hold the same thing, they hold water, but a river is always flowing. It's always going. And so when you contrast these things, the reservoir basically just holds water. The river is always flowing. And there's, in nature, there's this concept of, you've, you've known people or you've interacted with people that have all this potential. But they're just holding it. 
But then in contrast, you see people who have potential, and it's always flowing. They're using it. They're trying. And that's, that's, this, that's the difference between this reservoir and this river. You're not meant to simply hold water. It's meant to always be flowing. And so spiritually, God is willing to give us plenty and has given us plenty. We're not just supposed to hold on to it. It's supposed to constantly be flowing. And so our two points are God reveals himself to us. Number one. Secondly, for us to reveal him to others. We're not simply made to hold on to this. In Galatians 1 verse 11. We'll read to verse 24. I want you to know, brothers and sisters. Paul uses that phrase several times in his writings. And it's to get their attention. He's telling them something that is certain. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went into Arabia. Later, I returned to Damascus. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I am writing you is no lie. Then I went to Syria and Cilicia, I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. First of all, God reveals himself to us. Now again, the opponents that have come to this region are saying, Paul got his message second hand. It's been a little bit doctored. He is, is passing on to you something he heard from someone else. And we've all interacted with people, or some of us, we have convictions, not our own, but from someone else. And when you try to pawn them off, it doesn't come off as strong. Right? That's what they're saying has happened to Paul. And so Paul has to respond and say, no, I didn't get it secondhand. Let, let me tell you a little bit about my life. His argument is, I received it from Jesus. This isn't secondhand. And here, here's my timeline. And you guys are well aware. After I was converted in verse 17, I didn't even go and talk to the apostles. Those are the guys that were handpicked by Jesus. When I was converted, I, I didn't even get a chance to interact with them. So I didn't even have time to hear the message from them secondhand. And then in 18, after three years... So he's been a Christian three years. After three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter. And I saw James too. And that verb acquainted means he just went to get to know him. He's not going to say, tell me about the gospel. Help me understand it. Help me revise it. Help me refine it. He's just saying, I want to get to know you. They're hanging out. 
And then he says, I, I wasn't even known to the churches in Christ in verse 22. And so, it, it, look, it's not secondhand. I didn't even have time to interact with these guys for them to pass the message to me. That's, that's what Paul's saying here. And here's my timeline to prove it. And then later in chapter 2, he talks more about that. Like, I didn't, I didn't really have time to meet with these guys and discuss the message. I heard it firsthand revealed directly from Jesus. That's actually a really bold claim. Someone were to make that today, you better question them. Because now we have the scriptures. But in this day, Paul had a direct encounter with Jesus. Now twice, this, this is not the movie, in case the Mel Gibson movie comes to mind, Apocalypto. But this is the Greek word Apocalypto, which is translated twice in our text. In verse 12, and verse 16. In verse 12, I didn't receive it from man, nor was I taught it, but rather I received it by, that word is apocalypsis, which is a form of apocalypto. So that's where Paul uses it in verse 12. And then later, he uses it again in verse 16. God called me by His grace and was pleased to reveal, or apocalypto, His Son in me. When you break that word down, and if you don't remember anything, this is at least a cool word today that you can take home with you. But it's, when you break this word down, apo means to take off. Calypto means to cover or to bury. So when you combine those, to take off the cover, to remove what's been buried, to expose what's been hidden. Apocalypto. Alright? That's what's happening when Paul describes this word. So when he, when he says, I didn't get it from man... God took off the cover. God revealed it to me when I interacted with Jesus. And he did so that he could reveal himself through me to other people. And so, this, generally speaking, God is kind of hidden, isn't it? You just can't look out the window and see him. But he reveals himself through people, through creation, through the scriptures. And we can accept that revelation. Likewise, we are supposed to reveal Christ to other people. But Paul is saying specifically, look, the, the gospel that the apostles have is the exact same one I have. But we received it independently. They, they interacted with Jesus and walked with Jesus. But I encountered Jesus and that's who revealed the gospel to me. It's the same message, but I didn't get it secondhand. You can't claim I'm, I'm giving you a secondhand message. That's Paul's argument there. And so that's a big deal, right? And so, and, and, as I, and as we read this, we see that they did get the same message. But Paul, Paul has like, God reveals with much more clarity than any, anyone else before, kind of the whole picture of the gospel. When you read through Paul's writings, he understands that it started with Judaism and it, and it had a plan to eventually include the Gentile. He sees the whole picture, but it's the same message, but he just has like crystal clarity into it all that God revealed to him, which is inspiring. Theologians use these terms, general revelation and special revelation. General just means you can discern there's a creator or a God by nature. You can look at the clouds or the water or the trees, and if you were to ponder that and reflect and think about it, eventually you can arrive at some knowledge of God. That's just generally speaking. God reveals himself. That's what Psalm 19 says. That's what Roman chapter, Romans chapter 1 says. God reveals himself. But he also reveals himself in a special way through the scriptures to people who have the spirit. And so we have an advantage of not just, oh, we have a general revelation, but we have a special revelation of God from the Bible. But the question is, what type of person does God reveal himself to? 
We know from the scriptures, we know generally, and we know he does so, but what type of person does God reveal himself to? The Bible helps us understand that, and it also applies to our lives. When Paul talks about his conversions to young Timothy, here's what he says in 1 Timothy 1, verse 13. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. What kind of person does God reveal himself to? Somebody that's humble. Paul looks at his former mindset and says, I was without knowledge. I was ignorant. I didn't get it. That takes a humble man to evaluate the way they think, the way they live, and say, I don't really know what I'm talking about. I don't know. That posture, that humility, allows God to reveal himself in a special way to Paul. I think one of the reasons people have trouble converting is they have a hard time saying, I'm wrong. They hold so tightly to their mindset. They're they're so adamant about their worldview, they just won't admit it's wrong. Now, equally true is they also criticize and scrutinize Christianity with a fine-tooth comb. Sometimes they've done research, often they haven't. But they'll make these claims and say, no, Christianity is strict, no, Christianity is this, no, Christianity is that. Fine. But you have to be equally... You have to allow equal scrutiny to your mindset. You have to allow that equal kind of penit. Well, let me let me let me consider the way you think. Let's scrutinize that. Does it really make sense? You know, and I remember as a teenager, I thought I had it all figured out, but now I look back and say I didn't have anything figured out. And now the more I know, I figure I don't know anything. But I think there's there's a there's a reality that says Paul looked and, and you look at Paul. He was a learned man. And he looks at his life and says, I didn't know anything. I think too often people hold so tightly to stuff that doesn't even make sense. Doesn't even make sense. And so you have to let someone say, well, you're going to say this about Christianity. Let's examine your life and see if it really makes sense. And what is it doing for you? And so I think that that's the kind of non-Christian side of it. If you're not yet a, a disciple, be humble. Be willing to look at your mindset. To have it examined. To have it scrutinized. Under pressure, just like you're doing to the Bible and Christianity. Amen? If you are a disciple, I think you have to keep following Jesus to keep getting his revelation. Why does Jesus reveal himself to Peter in Matthew chapter 16, verse 17? Jesus says, who am I to all of his disciples? And Peter responds, first of all, you are the Messiah, the Son of God. The first proclamation. Jesus responds in Matthew 16, blessed are you, Simon, for this was not revealed to you by man, but... By God, Apocalypto, God revealed that to you. You have have been following me, you've been close enough to me that God revealed that information to you. You did not get it from man. I think as we age as disciples, it's tempting to negotiate our discipleship. It's tempting to water it down. It's tempting to soften it. It's tempting to make it more sentimental. But the more you follow Jesus, the more closely you follow Jesus, the more he reveals himself to you. The challenge is to keep following him. But the truth remains, God reveals himself to us. God reveals himself to us. However, what type of person will you be? Secondly, and lastly, this concludes the first point in a full sentence. God reveals himself to us. Why? For us to reveal him to others. 
I, I, I do think it's cool to learn a lot about God, to read books, to read commentaries, to be enlightened, but not for the sake of enlightenment. Amen. Not for the sake of getting puffed up. The more you know, the more you share. The more you understand, the more you share. The more gifts, the more you share. It's meant to be shared. You're meant to be a river, not a reservoir. Paul's life is an example of this fact. In verse 16 of our passage, he says, God was pleased... To reveal his son in me so that I might preach him. There you get kind of these twin concepts where God chooses Paul to go and be an instrument. And through him and through his life, he'll reveal himself. How does he do that? When he preaches to the Gentiles. So God is at work through Paul. It'd have been, Paul, he could have just sat around and said, that man, I had an incredible spiritual experience one time. Full stop. <laughs> that's, that's not inspiring. I had this experience, and let me share how it can change your life as well. So he's able to help others see God as well. Also, it, it, so that's what it says in verse 16. God plucked him out and says, I'm going to reveal me to others through your life. Later on in this passage, he, he says that people heard that he had, he had become a Christian in verse 23. And here was kind of the report. The man who formerly persecuted the church is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. So they're fired up, but they're also skeptical if he comes to their church. Right? Yeah. Imagine Paul, the church killer, the Christian persecutor, showing up at church and saying, Hey guys, I'm here. I'm converted. I'd like to do a communion. Okay, and so what is his point? He's saying, look, I wasn't even a likely candidate for the gospel message. And he describes it. You know, I, I intensely, he, he says that, I intensely persecuted the church. And I tried to destroy it. And I was really zealous about man-made tradition. That's what he says. I was extremely zealous for the tradition of my father's. Man, I wanted to please man. I persecuted the church. And so Paul doesn't just think Christianity is bad. He actively tries to stomp it out. To him it was a threat. This is when Christianity first came on the scene. And Paul is all about the law. Now these Christians are all about Jesus. And he says, these guys are wrong. We've got to kill them. Yeah. They're, they're preaching a dangerous message. We've got to stomp it out. They're saying Jesus and not law, but it's law, not Jesus. Let's go. Let's get letters. Let's take them to jail. Let's kill them. And I did it with intensity. I was a fanatic. There's no way that a man-made message would come to me and I say, hmm, that sounds good. I'll convert. It had to have been God. He revealed himself to me. I was a fanatic. There was no way anybody would have picked me to be a disciple of Jesus. I persecuted. I was advanced. I went to every church service, every Bible talk leader meeting, every leadership training, every conference. I was there. That's Paul, you know. But there was no way anyone would have picked him to become a disciple of Jesus. But when he, when he, when he encounters Jesus, it all shifts. And it says immediately he goes away and he starts preaching. He goes from persecutor to proclaiming the message he was trying to destroy. That's not what we would expect, right? You never hear this in the news. You never hear a terrorist plot has been uncovered. 
We have found the terrorist in our country and we've granted him citizenship and made him an ambassador. You never hear that. But that's Paul. That is Paul's. And so God says, that's how I'm going to reveal myself to people. Look at that guy. You think you're jacked up? Well, you are. But look at this guy. I'm going to reveal myself through Paul. And he's going to go and preach. You think you're too far gone? Well, you're far, but you're not gone. Look at Paul. I'm going to reveal myself to you through him. God takes unlikely people and makes them candidates for the gospel. And that's why he says, God was pleased to reveal himself in me. Look at me. I I wasn't like, it wasn't supposed to happen. God is revealing himself to me, but it doesn't stop at that point. Now it should flow, just like from Paul's life. If you've understood the gospel, if you've had your life changed, it doesn't stop there. That's right. He reveals himself to you so you can do it to others. There's a wild story in 2 Kings chapter 7, and it goes like this. The city is in a famine, and there's four lepers outside of the city. The city is surrounded by an enemy army. These four lepers, they talk amongst themselves and they say, here's our choices. We can go in the city and die because there's no food. Or we can go into the enemy camp and die because they'll kill us. Either way, we're going to die. So why don't we just try to go to the enemy camp and see what happens? They do go to the enemy camp and God has caused a big confusion. All the enemies are gone now. So they wander into this camp, they come into a tent and they find food, they find gold, they find silver, and they find clothes. And they start eating, and they start drinking, and putting on all the flash clothes, and then they go to the next tent, and it's the exact same thing. And they're all fired up, because they have food, they have gold, they have silver, and they have flash clothes. Lepers, And in verse 9 of 2 Kings chapter 7. Then they said to each other, What we are doing is not right. This is a day of good news. We're keeping it to ourselves. If we wait until daylight, punishment will overtake us. Let us go at once and report this to the royal palace. The same people that had put them outside of the city. And so they say, man, we got food. We got all this stuff. This is awesome. But we got to share it. We got to share it with people. And so they do. They go into the city and they say, hey, the, the army's not there anymore. And there's heaps of food, guys. And there's heaps of gold. And there's heaps of silver. And you know what happens? The gatekeepers, they sound the message to the rest of the community. The community goes out. They plunder all of the stuff. And the city is saved. That's a crazy story, okay? Because first of all, it's bad enough just to be a leper. Secondly, it's bad being a leper in a famine. Even worse, it's bad being a leper in a famine at war. Right? You don't get much worse than this scenario. And so they just say, well, I mean, what what are we going to do? And I don't know. We're going to die either way. Let's just try something. And they experience luxury. And then they say, man, we got to share it with other people. And the city is saved. That's wild. They're spreading the news. Saved the city. No one is inspired by people who choose to do less. 
Not really, right? These lepers could have just said, well, we're just kind of sitting around here. We're lepers and it's famine and it's a war. But let's, let's just try something. We're inspired by those who have less that God uses to do more. And that's what happened in this scenario. These guys don't have anything. But think about the risk and the courage it took for them to get up and go. But think about the reward. Not only for them, but for the whole city. Based on that little bit of action that they took. In truth, this story is a story about us as Christians. It's a reflection of you and me, right? It's not like, I mean, we're, we're, we're lepers, it's famine, it's war, and we, we get some good news, like, man, I, I got to tell some more people about it. And see how the momentum is created? They make a decision, they put into action, they tell somebody else, and then the end of the story is the city gets saved. But it started just with a little bit of momentum, a little bit of spiritual momentum. Let's go do something. We've done something. Let's talk about it. So it's not like they just had a grand plan. Let's go save the city. Right? But what they had, they shared with others. I think about how this breaks down into our life. There's a friend of mine I've been sharing the gospel with for about a year and a half. And it's been a brick wall. I mean, he's, we've laughed and joked and have fun, but he's, I'm never really interested in the gospel. He's been clear to me. <laughs> Last week he texted me, he said, I need you to come over. I have a question for you. I thought it was a joke. He said, I heard you're good at dealing with people. I said, I don't know who you heard that from. <laughs> I go over to his house, he wants to talk about some relationship issues, and it was serious. And when we talked about it, and amen, everything got resolved. The next day he says, hey, I'm 48 years old. I think recently I had a little tiny revelation that God is real. I said, tell me about it, man. He said, nope, I'm not going to talk about it. I said, okay, I'll take that. There's a little bit of momentum. Just a little bit. So you're saying there's a chance. Right, just a little bit of momentum. I, I, I appreciate my wife. She's been reaching out to the school moms for ages in our community. And yesterday, one of them came over. They talked for a couple hours. And just a little bit of momentum. Most have been resistant or kind of evade when you try to help them understand the gospel. But just a tiny, tiny, tiny bit of momentum. Who knows? A year and a half later, it'll plant a seed. They'll come to you. The gospel, the city gets saved. But it's just deciding, I'm going to have a little bit of spiritual momentum. Now, maybe that overwhelms you. But let me just encourage you to just start simply talking to people. You don't have to open your mouth and say, hey, I'm a disciple of Jesus. I want to study the Bible with you and teach you the gospel when you come to church. You just open your mouth and say, hey, that's a nice shirt you got on, man. Are you from America? That's what I say to everybody that wears some kind of sports jersey. You know, it just, oh, hey, is that your boy over there? No. Oh, well, I have a son. You know, like, just talk to people. It doesn't matter. You may, you may end up in a spiritual conversation, you may not. But I guarantee if you just learn to talk to people, at some point, it's going to create some momentum. It won't happen every time, but it'll happen once. It'll happen once. I love our church. We have so many great spiritual qualities, so many great spiritual people, so many great convictions. However, I want to encourage and charge our church to remember... That what God has revealed to you, he's done so that you can reveal to 
others. We have a phenomenal family here. But we're not meant to be a reservoir. We are meant to be a river. God has revealed Himself to us so we can reveal Him to others. Paul's life is an example of that. He picks Paul out and says, look at this guy. Everybody have a good look. I helped him. I can help you. And this concept generated a passion in Paul. And it generated momentum in Paul. And likewise, it can generate passion and momentum in us as well when we understand that God has revealed himself. Tomorrow when you wake up, create some momentum somewhere in your day. Know that God has revealed himself to you so that you can reveal him to others. Amen. Amen.